welcome to the Squats and Science podcast hosted by USA National Team Head Coach Aaron Comesti and SNS Barbell Owner and Coach Joe Cristando. In this podcast, we go over various powerlifting topics in detail and use real-life examples to help you better understand key concepts. Welcome to Squats and Science Podcast, episode 13. I'm Coach Joe Cristando, a.k.a. Joey Canoli. I'm joined with Arian Camessi. What's going on, dude? What's going on? Is my uh, a.k.a. now Messi Camessi? Messi Camessi. Joey Canoli and Messi Camessi. Yeah, right. This <laughs> sounds pretty good. <laughs> uh, how, how you been? How's it going? Uh, good. I'm relaxing in February. have uh, no meets to go to, so I'm at home. Uh, get to train a little bit and then uh, work on a lot of different stuff that we got coming up. Yeah, a little bedroom training. Yeah, and of course, uh, nice weather down here compared to what I see for you guys up there. I don't know, dude. It's 55 degrees outside. This is the nicest winter I've ever seen in New York. It's crazy. I guess it's good now, but I was looking for uh, in the coming weeks when I go up there, and it's like it's supposed to be between 30 and 50. Dude, 50 is like that's good. If we're, if it's if it's 50 in February, it's really good. For us Floridians, 70 is good. Yeah, well, I'll take it because it's usually like 10 degrees here. So, <laughs> you know, global warming has has consequences. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, so what what are we talking about today? We had a. A few different topics that we could pick from that uh, people sent in or, and just us discussing stuff. Um, but the one we're going to go over today, which a lot of people were asking about, is uh, just peaking, what it is and, and the details of it. Sure. So you want to start off, just give a description of what we're talking about when we talk about peaking. Yeah, so a lot of people might look at it at different ways or maybe um, have a different term for different parts of it. Me personally... Um, I like to see the peaking as like the entire cycle. So that'll include the actual peaking weeks plus like the taper week or deload week, whatever you want to call it for like the, the last bit of training going in where some people like this to separate it out. So it's good to have everyone when you're communicating on, on the same terminology um, of what it entails. Right. But, but basically the, the idea of peaking, what you're trying to do in any sport is to be get your body at its best to perform that sport on that day. Mm -hmm. So for us in powerlifting is to be able to display our one rep max in the squat, bench, press, and deadlift on competition day. That That's like in one or two sentences, that's what we're trying to do. Right. Peak performance. And yeah. Basically, peak in performance. We want to get to the top of that mountain and have it fall on the day of our competition, not one week before or one week after. Um, it's It's hard to get it exactly on that day. You don't have to be perfect as long as we can get as close as possible uh, and produce a good performance. Then, then you're doing uh, really good, especially since we're not pros here. So people have other life stresses as far as work, family, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and all those things play a role. So the way I look at it is what they call the fitness fatigue model. Mm -hmm. And they talk about this in exercise science and stuff like that, is that there's two variables that give you that. And one is fitness, which is your ability to display your skill. For us, it would be the ability to squat, bench, press, and deadlift, they one rep max. And the other one is fatigue. And the fatigue can come from the training. It can come from the other things I said, from family, work, 
um, not sleeping enough, uh, hydration, cutting body weight, that kind of stuff. Um, so those things put together gives you your preparedness, which is what you're going to be able to hit in the competition. So what we want to do during the peaking phase is reduce that fatigue and be able to increase that fitness. So we can get our preparedness at the highest uh, level possible to uh, display our, our strength in the competition. Right. Yeah, I agree with all of that. So now that we have our, our peak, peaking defined, um, who, who do you think should be peaking? So I know a, a lot of people, at least from what I've seen uh, online on forums and whatever, is everyone feels like they have to peak. Um, and I think there are certain situations, um, and then you can go into what you think other situations, where you might not need to peak or not want to peak someone as a coach. Mm-hmm. One would be is if you're building out your entire year or maybe even multi-year schedule of what competitions you want to do, some competitions are going to be more important, like a national championship or world championship is going to be important. Placing is important, and uh, you might have to win in order to go to the next level, so peak is important for that. But if maybe you're doing like a local competition just to qualify for nationals, you might not have to worry about peaking because you're just trying to hit the qualifier, maybe just hit the minimum to get into prime time or something like that. But you don't need to be at your top performance. Another another situation could be if you're a brand new lifter. If you're a beginner, it's your first competition. Um, There's so many different things you're trying to learn into your first competition, so many variables. So whatever variables we can toss away or limit. Um, that's why we tell people usually like, don't cut weight for your first competition. Um, you don't need to go all out for your first competition either. You do want to learn the rules, make lifts, gain some experience, meet people at the competition, have fun. So it doesn't matter if you're, if you're not at peak performance. So I'd say a beginner would be another person that maybe necessarily doesn't need to peak. Right. I've had, um, a lot of people that I've coached that, that come to me and say, I want to do a meet, but I don't want to peak for it. And uh, very rarely does that ever happen. Because <laughs> you get it, they get into the prep and then they start talking about, oh, I want to do this and this and this. And it's like, okay, well, if you want to do all those things, then you can't really just coast into it, I, I think, personally. Yeah, and there's there's different, I guess you can call them amounts, different amounts you can put into peaking or different amount of training weeks you can dedicate to peaking. So what the peaking does, as we said with the whole fitness fatigue model, is it basically displays your strength, but it doesn't necessarily build your strength. The building the strength is done more in what we call like maybe the volume blocks or the off season, however you want to term it. So during, let's say, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever of uh, volume training or off season training, you're building your strength. And then maybe in those last like three to four weeks, you're just preparing your body to display the strength. So when you go through a peaking cycle, those weeks that you're peaking and then tapering into the competition and then you compete and then after you compete, you take time off, you're missing out on weeks that you could be gaining, getting stronger. Right. So if you're spending the time doing that as a beginner, then it's less time that you're spending getting stronger, um, which is going to limit how fast you can possibly gain your, your strength. So what you could do is just like continue to train normally into the meet, do your sets of five, do your accessory work, all that stuff like that. And then maybe like two days before the competition, you just take rest days to kind of drop the fatigue a little bit and then compete. So it's not it's not a full peak. It's just maybe just a little bit of a taper at the end. Another option is maybe just like the week before the competition, just hit some heavy singles. Like let's say just work up to an opener. Um, that way you just get a little bit of practice with that competition-specific singles. And then maybe you throw in the two days off before the competition to reduce some fatigue. And then you get like a 
little of a mini peek just to get your body prepared for that heavier weight. Sure. Um, I had a point I was going to say. Now I can't remember what it was. I, I talked too much and threw you off. Ah, uh, threw me off. I, I had something I wanted to say. I can't remember. All right, never mind. It, it, it'll, it'll come back to me. Yeah, it might pop up to you. And then also in the competition when you're picking your attempts, if you're not focused on peaking and hitting your best performance, you can leave a little bit in the tank on each of your attempts. So let's say you maybe only go up to a second attempt and pass in your thirds. So that means the competition is not going to drain you as much and you can get back to training faster. And again, you can then go straight back to building your strength and not losing those weeks. Because if you're doing, let's say, three competitions a year and you're peaking for all of them, you might be losing nine weeks or 12 weeks of training that you could have been building your strength. Right. And that, that was actually the point I was going to make is I think um, a lot of lifters think that their strength development comes during the peaking phase, that that's where they're actually building on what they have. But in reality, it's all it's mostly done in the off season, done through volume training, done through some intensity blocks. Uh, and if, if you spend the time doing that stuff, when you peak, you're just you're maximizing what you've done previously right it's like building people call them building blocks and, and i think that's a, a really good way of looking at it um so i, I coach people and they, and they get to the peaking block and they start hitting prs like you know a couple weeks out and it's going really well and then there's they they're like oh this is like amazing and it's like well yeah of course you you did all the work that you had to do leading up to it you know the off season was you you did what you needed to do this is just a little aside that goes into periodization but just a thought that i had yeah, yeah. So all parts are important, and uh, one of the analogies that I, I've seen Mike T from RTS use uh, when describing volume and intensity is that intensity is uh, both of them are a vector. Your intensity is the direction of the vector. So obviously, the higher intensity, our direction is going to be more towards absolute strength than what we want for powerlifting. But the volume is the magnitude of the vector. So the more volume you're doing, obviously to a certain degree, that uh, vector is going to be a bigger magnitude. So doing that higher volume in off-season is going to give you those bigger uh, bigger adaptations because you're getting a bigger stress level, more fatigue. Once you reduce that volume drastically in the peak, where you're getting a much smaller magnitude to your strength gains, and then obviously when you drop the intensity too, going into the, the last couple of days or last week of the competition, you're also losing that uh, direction of getting the absolute strength. So that's why you're going to get most likely less adaptations during those weeks. Right. Um, and the other thing, like you said, it, um, it all builds off each other in the periodization. So you could peak, but if you didn't build any strength in the in the base, well, then you're not going to display much new strength. You're just displaying the same strength. And on the flip side, if you do a lot of base volume training and everything goes well and you're hitting volume PRs and everything like that, but then you screw up your peak or you screw up that last couple of days or something like that, then you're not going to be able to display your strength properly. And so you need both there and doing it properly in both so that one does not ruin the other one. And then you're like, oh, well, maybe I didn't get stronger. But really, maybe you just screwed up the last week of training. Was that a criticism of my last meet? <laughs> your, 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 your last meet was uh, a little bit different. But if you actually if you actually see it, which we'll, we'll go into more uh, into some of the ideas I have or some of the theories I have, is if you actually go look at it out of the three lifts, your deadlift was actually like the lowest RPEs going into the meet because you had tweaked your back um, and it was bothering you, but yet that performed the best in the competition. Yeah, it's really weird. So we'll discuss that a little bit later of what people think of uh, what numbers they have to hit in training. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so, oh, I was going to make one more point. So just a quick analogy is like, if you think about like the gym bro who goes into the gym every day and does like a one RM every single day, he's basically just constantly peaking, right? He's just always, he's in a perpetual state of peaking and I doubt that he'll make a ton of progress, right? He's probably hitting the same thing frequently or within five or 10 pounds. Um, and that's cause he doesn't have that, the off season, the volume build, the volume base building to maximize what he's doing. It's just a, a thought I had, but it's a, I think it's a pretty good analogy. Yeah. And, and it might work for certain people or it might work for a certain while. For example, when I was a beginner and let's say even when I was a beginner, let's just say I'm 200 pounds, uh, a male, I'm in my twenties, I'm getting my sleep and everything in and I'm maxing out 135 on squat. I, I mean, I, I technically have more muscle mass or, and more strength to do more than 135, but I just wasn't proficient in a squat. I didn't know how to brace properly. I didn't know how to feel depth properly. I didn't have the muscular coordination. So my body was just not efficient and I can only do 135. So then I come next week and I do 140 and I come in next week and I do 145 and I come in next week. So I'm getting stronger because it could be due to neural adaptation or mm-hmm. getting more comfortable with the weight or not being scared of failing, the mental aspect. Um, so mm-hmm. you could do that for a little while. But once you start tapping that out and hitting the limits, then you start plateauing and then it becomes more, of okay, um, are you fatiguing your nervous system too much? Do you not have enough muscle mass anymore to get through those weak points? And then that's when, yeah, then you can't max anymore every single week and then you start deteriorating or maybe getting injured. Yep. Um, so there's... I was, I was going to say, so there's, there's different, there's different aspects to the peaking and the ability to move a certain weight as far as like your technique, how efficient you are. There's also muscular coordination. So when you're in those higher percentages, let's say 85% and up, you're getting more intra muscular coordination, which means it's coordination of the, of the fibers within the muscle. So you're actually building up skills that way. And then also your body's getting comfortable with a heavier weight on their back or in your hands with the bench press. So you're getting more comfortable uh, maxing out that way. So there's different things like that that might help you progress if you're doing that kind of method at first. Once you get to obviously the higher levels and you start tapping out your potential, all those different things, technique, uh, neural adaptation, mental game, all that stuff like that, then it's going to take more work and more time building uh, the base level strength and the muscle mass, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and another aspect of all this is uh, te- you, you mentioned it really quickly, but technical proficiency. So if you are trying to peak and working at like you know eighty five percent plus going into a meet, and you're trying to make technical corrections there, you're it's highly unlikely you're going to be able to do so. Um, so if you haven't done that work in the off season, building up to it, once you get there, you're you're, you're kind of stuck with what you got basically. Um, and I, I see that as a problem with a lot of lifters, but uh, I don't know if you want to go into that too in, in detail. Yeah, and, and again, for maybe a beginner or maybe even an intermediate, depending on how we define it, you, you might get lucky and be in a better technical position. So, for example, if you're deadlifting and maybe you're someone who like drops your hips and pulls really fast or you're someone who like rolls the bar into your shins and pulls really fast, it's a lot of timing of the bar being in the correct position over the midfoot and then your pull and bracing. So maybe one week – you, you roll it too fast or it goes over a bump or something like that and the bar is over your toes and you hit like 315 and, and then the next week you come and you hit it in the right spot and you're more efficient. You didn't actually physically get stronger, 
but your body is in a better position to move that same weight. So now maybe you can do 325 or 335. You're like, oh shit, my, my max went up 20 pounds in one week. <laughs> it's, well, you're, you're, you didn't actually get physically stronger. It's just you happen to be lucky and be in a more mechanically advantageous position in order to pull that weight. So right. sometimes like that, it's just like, yeah, it could be little things like even luck that can help you progress from week to week if you're, if you're doing that. Sure. Um, all right. So let's talk about a little bit more specifics of, of how to how to t- t- design your peak. Um, so h- how heavy do you think an athlete should be go- doing going into a meet? Yeah, so it, it really depends on the, uh, the person, the style of training, um, whatever methods you're using for your periodization. But w- what I've noticed and then kind of like I feel like now these days I'm going more a- against the grain of what people are doing is – I don't believe you should. You need to go as heavy as some people think. Um, a lot of people think like they have to hit their max in training. Um, some people might do like a test day, like three or four weeks out, hit their max, see what it is, and then go back into the training. Some people might feel like they have to hit it, like oh, I have to hit above my second attempt or something like that. They put these specific numbers of like like a on and off switch. You either have to hit this weight to peak properly, and if you don't hit this weight, then then you didn't peak properly. I think it's more of a, a range and then it also depends based on the fatigue of the person because I've had it before where I've hit like my opener in training, like maybe a week or two out and move closer to a second or third attempt. Yeah. So all I could go up to at that time was my opener because I was so fatigued. Right. So some people might think, oh man, you're only going up to your opener. Like you're not going to be prepared to hit those heavier weights. Right. Uh, but then what I've noticed in competition is once my fatigue was down, uh, once my skill was at, at primed and ready to go, I was able to hit that opener like it was nothing, hit my second attempt, and then hit the PR on third attempt, and everything felt great. So I personally have noticed that like I tend to go lighter than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there on, it also just depends on the person, if they're male or female, maybe, or depending on what weight class they are, if they're cutting weight or if they're not cutting weight, um, that kind of stuff. So I've noticed for some of like, my higher – uh, weight class or higher one rep max lifters that I have to uh, not go as heavy, maybe just like an opener or between opener and second attempt versus my lighter lifters who aren't cutting weight. Um, they're doing lighter weights. They can recover really fast. We can maybe go up to between a second and third attempt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with the, uh, with a lot of that. Um, and, and I've actually done it. I've done both methodologies and I, 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 as a coach, kind of prescribe to what you do, and that's because I, my, I, Jordan basically mentored me on a lot of this stuff, and he's a big proponent of having data going into a meet and not leaving, uh, not leaving it to to chance or guessing, right? Um, whereas you, you're a trust the process kind of guy, and, and I, and I do think you're correct in saying that there's a range, and that probably both of those can work equally as well. Um, if you have good programming designed for it, um, but I've done both. And then also from in a coat from a coaching aspect, I've, I also have done both and I've had success with both of those things. Yeah. So I, I think two other, uh, variables should be factored in this and, and the difference between our methodologies or our ideas. One would be the method in which you're prescribing the protocols. Uh, so that could be percentage based. RPE based or velocity based. And then the other thing could be the coaching style, which is in person versus uh, online. Yeah. So we'll, we'll go into the first one. 
for me personally, I, I still have most of my lifters on percentage-based training. Mm-hmm. So percentage-based, I have to give a percentage either based on what their one rep max was um, in competition or maybe an estimation of where I think they are now. I have to also estimate how much fatigue they have in that session because maybe they can't hit 95% if they're too fatigued right. or 97% yeah. if they're too fatigued. So I have to make that estimation. And then um, so what I've noticed for me is – a lot of times my lifters will fall between 95 and 97% for their heaviest single. Maybe for, like I said, for some of those lifters that are maybe like calorie in a caloric deficit, or maybe they're in a bigger weight class and are doing some really heavy weights, maybe they're in 92 to 95%. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're not at that hundred percent range or even above a hundred percent range, unless they've made like drastic progress since their one rep max that we're using. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that 97% range might get someone to a second attempt, and then the 92% will get someone to a first attempt. Right. Um, the the other way would be RPE based, which I have a few of my lifters on RPEs. I know you have a lot of your lifters on RPE, mm-hmm. so that that way you don't have to necessarily worry about what fatigue levels are at. You can just assign RPE nine or RPE nine point five, and they can figure out what weight it is. So what for my lifters that I've done. Um, RPE based, it's usually that nine or nine point five. We usually don't go to ten, or pretty much I would say we never go to ten. And I try to do maybe more nines so that if they do overshoot, it goes from nine to nine point five, not from nine point five to ten or a failure. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I mostly do actually don't do percentage with any of my lifters. Uh, and I actually think a big difference is because all, I, every single person I coach is in person. I have no no remote clients, and I see them weekly, multiple times a week. So I can kind of I can help them make decisions or better decisions um, if they're doing RP. Uh, <clears throat> so there's less room for error there. Uh, I'm 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 a fan of the auto regulation just because it leaves the opportunity that if if they're feeling really good that maybe they can hit something above their 100%. Um, and that way, meet day, we actually have an idea of what they're capable of. And it's like, like I said before, instead of guessing. Um, but again, I, both, I think both protocols work just, just as well. Yeah, and you can always do a combination. So depending on the lifter, I might have some lifters where I give them a, a specific weight and a specific RPE. Or I might have like a, a range for the weight and an RPE, or maybe even a range for the weight and a range for the RPE. So I might say, okay, hit between 8.5 and 9 RPE, and on an average day that will fall between 100 and 105 kilos. That way it gives them an idea of like, hey, on a regular day I should be hitting this, but if I'm feeling bad, I got to go out down to this, or if I'm feeling good, I can go up to this, and give them a little bit of a space to work with. Yeah, um, so that kind of helps with the percentages. So if they are really feeling really good on 95%, then they can maybe go up two and a half or five kilos. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good way of doing it. Uh, also, uh, there's like a when when I'm when I have athletes peaking, especially people I've been working with for, for a while, that they know that even though it's each week, it might be like an RP8 for the, uh, the single or RP9. Ideally, it would be a you know, a two and a half or a five kilo jump weekly, but that, that's not always the case, obviously, because they're auto regulating. Um, so if they're feeling really good, then they should be shooting for those two and a half. So those five leading into the meet. Um, and, and if they feel bad, then they just drop the weight either way. Yeah. And then the, the other method, which, uh, I've only done with maybe one or two clients over the years is the, the velocity based training. 
Um, the benefit to that is if they're if they're putting maximum effort into the entire rep, then the velocity is going to be more uh, objective, where the RP could still be a little bit subjective depending on the skill of the lifter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you do velocity based with any of your lifters? Uh, yeah, I do. So currently, we're right now. I have everybody on RP, and that's just because I'm waiting on rep ones to be in the gym. Most of our open barbell units are a little funky, and, and I, I don't have enough for everybody. Um, but I have done it in the past and I actually, this is my preferred method. Um, but there's a couple factors here. One, you have to have a large data set for each athlete for this to be accurate. You can't just arbitrarily assign, um, <clears throat> velocity targets because it's different for everybody. So if you don't have that data set, you can't really, you could use it as a loose guide, right? Because I can kind of get an idea of how fast something's moving based off of velocity, but it's not the same. If I have two athletes and one can one can squat their their max effort squat at like a 0.15 and the other one can squat at a 0.25, there's a huge difference there and it scales all the way up. Um, but I actually really like this method. I've done it myself and the best, best peaking blocks I've had going into training have been using velocity targets and then similarly for athletes uh i have a couple athletes who i've used it for and they've had phenomenal success with it going into a meet uh and basically the way that i would lay this out is you start uh let's say it's four weeks out you have the heavy single day each week or double or triple and that velocity target for the single let's just use a single for example each week it drops by like 0.03 and that way by by the end of the block, they'd be hitting a really slow target, um, and then you just adjust the load based off of that. And most people, it just, I've, I could, you could get the weight on the bar dialed in really, really specifically if you have good data on the athlete. Like I said, this, the entire, the whole, the whole premise of, of this is built on the fact that you have a large data set. Um, so Maddie, a 72 that I coach, I have a year of data on her, and I could totally go and give her a target and have it be really close to uh, a nine or a nine and a half, and the load will be right on target. Yeah, you know, it's, so it's definitely uh, it could definitely be the best method if, like you said, if you have a data set. But if you don't have a data set, like you said, you can also combine it with the other options. So you can have a a, a velocity range and also an RPE range and use both of them together to get the right way in the bar um, and then slowly develop that data set to get the right velocities. And then once you have that data set and they've gone past that beginner stage, their velocity is pretty much going to like stay consistently at the same area for their max. And then you can start building it off of that uh, lowest velocity, not only from the top set, but also if you're doing like back off sets, you can mm-hmm. see how much fatigue they're developing through the sets and then based how much fatigue you want for that session or for that week, depending on how fast their velocity is dropping. Yeah. You have a lot of control, um, for intra-workout fatigue. Uh, you could be really specific on, on that with the velocity. So, so going back to the, the overall idea that we're discussing, because I tend to do more percentage based and I, and then we'll go into the next section, which is going into, I'm online. I'm not there physically to see the person then I have to tend to be more conservative. Right. Um, 
because for you, you can use all three methods in person and make adjustments. So you can calculate what their, their number should be based on percentage. You can see what the RPE is and ask them after each set, hey, how many more reps did you have in the tank? Hey, how, how many more reps did you have to take after this warm up? And also you can track your velocity and then you can make adjustments on the go and make sure that they're, they're being um, correct with gauging the RPE. Um, you can make sure that they're putting the uh, maximum effort into every single and their warm-ups going up to get the proper velocity. Whereas I'm not, uh, I don't have that option. Right. Uh, so that's a little bit different between you and Jordan's methodology versus mine. It's you guys are pretty much all in person and I'm pretty much all online. Right. Yeah. And it, it helps a ton from a coaching perspective to actually see the rep in real time. You you just get a better sense of of what that athlete's capable of, especially if you know them, um, and you know how they move, and you know how slow they can move, and you you know if technically if they make any mistakes, and just watching in real time, you could you could be very specific about what what you want them to do. Yeah, and, and there's some limitations to remote coaching in that aspect for sure. Yeah, and even for the lifter themselves to video and watch it themselves, because pretty much every lifter knows they go doing like a heavy single on squat. And they're like, holy crap, that was hard. And then they go back and watch the video and they're like, oh, actually, it wasn't that bad. It just felt heavy. Right. So sometimes I have lifters that will will do that. They'll send me their videos and I'll be like, oh, it looks easier actually than RP uh, you said. Um, and sometimes that'll be even real time. So like I have my lifter, Shannon, who's getting ready for uh, Equip Nationals, do her first like uh, suited uh, session yesterday. And we haven't been in the suit for a long time, so I had to give her RPE because who knows what her, her strength levels are at. So I had to give her RPE, but after each set, she would send me the video, and then we'd look at it and discuss what we thought the RPE was and what weight we should jump to next. And then she would do the next one, send me the video. So there's ways like that that I can maybe like kind of be there in person. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, I, I, it's not that way because people will have to do their, their training and they have to kind of – get to their next set and time. They don't have the time to send me the video, make sure I'm free, discuss all stuff like that. So most right. of the time I'm, I'm doing a blind. I'm just predicting how they're going to feel that way. Uh, and that's why I tend to be more conservative. Sure. I think that's totally legit. Um, so if you're in the middle of a peak and you're getting ready for a meet, when do you think you should start dropping the intensity? So what should be your last heaviest session? Yeah, so again, this is uh, kind of the uh, the theme of a lot of these questions that people have with powerlifting is, is it depends, and it depends on those factors that we, we discussed, which is like what kind of experience level they're at, whether they're cutting weight, maintaining weight, gaining weight, um, what their weight max is, what their weight class is. It could even be the, the movement that they're doing. Like most people experience bench recovers the fastest, mm -hmm. then maybe squat, and then maybe deadlift is the slowest. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, people are doing, I would say most people are doing seven to 10 days out and maybe some people are doing maybe 10 to 20 days out as their heaviest. Yeah. Like, like I said, maybe someone's like doing a test day, they might do a test day three weeks out or something like that. Right. Um, but most of the people are doing, um, let's say your meets on, on Saturday. So most people are doing the previous week between Thursday and Saturday, they're doing their heaviest lifts or right. maybe uh, two weeks out, they're doing their heaviest lifts um, between that Thursday and Saturday. Yeah. And that totally depends on the athlete. Uh, so Tevin, I coach Tevin, who's squatting close to 800. He's benching close to 500. He's pulling in the mid 700s. I have him 
doing his last heaviest sessions this week, two weeks out, as opposed to everybody else I coach next week is they're going to be their heaviest session. And that's purely just because I think he is going to need more, a little bit more time to recover from those loads. Uh, you know, if he's squatting 780 today or whatever it is that you're probably not going to want to have him do that next week. Yeah. And, and, um, it's, uh, again, like we said, based on like the weight you're doing. So if, if you're, if you're squatting a thousand pounds like Ray Williams, then it might take you longer for your entire body to recover, uh, aside, just aside from just the muscles. Um, then the other thing is also is if, for example, you two weeks out, you go for the heaviest single and you overshoot it or it ends up being too heavy, well, you have more time to recover. Yeah. And on the flip, if the flip side, if it seems to be really easy and it moves like an opener or something like that, you still have time to maybe do another heavier single, slightly heavier. Right. So it gives you those options where you can work up or down based on how it goes. Where if you're like one week out and you, you hit it and it was basically a max, well, at that point, you're very limited in what you can do. Yeah. So I've actually, me personally, I've done the last meet I did, not this one, the one last year, Jordan had me doing uh, a max effort single every training day, <laughs> even even in the week of the meet, and then just manipulating all the volume after. So trying to control fatigue through volume. Uh, and I actually really liked, <laughs> I really liked doing that. Um, I felt meet day, I felt totally fine. I hit, I only hit two and a half more or five, no, I hit five kilos more than what I did during the whole peaking. Um, but I, I just felt mega prepared for squat. This um, specifically squat. I, I felt super prepared going in to that meet. Um, and, and I recovered fine. So I, you know, I don't know. I think I, like I said, I think there's a, like you said, there's a range and I don't think there's one right way or one wrong way. As long as you have, um, the underlying principles there. Yeah. And, and this is going a little bit more into like advanced styles of periodization, which is like the, the weekly maxing or the daily maxing. Um, and it can be done for short periods of time. Like I've done it before where I did it like maybe five to seven days. So like I maxed out in the competition and I thought I had a little bit more of me. So the week after the competition, I just kind of like went to a max or near max every day. And then the day that I felt like really good, I was like, okay, I'm going to max out today for real. Everything I have, I end up hitting a little bit more, like 10 pounds more than what I had in the competition. Yeah. Uh, and I, and there's people like Jordan that have done it for longer periods of time or our buddy, Dr. Zoros has done it for maybe 30 days, 60 days. I don't know if you ever maybe got like 90 days straight of daily maxing plus back off volume work. Yeah. Um, but eventually the, it adds up and, and then you start deteriorating. You'll start seeing your, your one rep max kind of going down you'll start feeling all beat up in your shoulders, your elbows, your knees. And also it might, de- it might take away from the other lifts. So you might be maxing out squats every day and feeling good, but then because your shoulders and elbows are beat up, you might can't bench as much. Yeah. I couldn't bench. <laughs> so so there, there's a little, there's a little give and take and everything. <laughs> My squat was felt great, but <laughs> I couldn't bench. <laughs> but the, 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 the concept behind what you did and the reason why it may have worked in, in the short term and same thing for me is that again, the, what we talk about, the volume gives you that magnitude of the vector and, and it causes more fatigue. So if you're doing much less volume and you're doing a higher intensity, you're not developing as much fatigue and muscular damage. So you're able to do it for a longer time. And then again, because you're doing the, the, the max and you have that intensity high and the specificity high, you're really honing your skill. So like, 
everything feels great. Like your bar position feels good. Your walkout feels good. Your descent feels good. The weight feels comfortable on your back. And so like everything feels honed in. Everything's like perfect um, yeah. for those for the, those days that you're doing it and for as long as it's working. Uh, and you're able to recover. Eventually, the, the fatigue, even if it is less fatigue than doing volume training, it slowly starts adding on top of each other and compounding and compounding. And then eventually you get to a limit where you, where you get the diminishing returns or you get injured. Yeah, there's definitely a trade-off there. Um, but like I said, that I've that's the most prepared I've ever been for squat going into a meet. It just felt I had no question about, no doubts. I just did it. Um, but I couldn't really bench, so <laughs> a little bit of a trade-off. <laughs> yeah, and there, and there might be ideas from that that you can implement in different ways. So one example might be like I might have a lifter work up to a, uh, their opener, every single week for like four weeks straight. So they feel really comfortable with their opener. They feel really honed in with that weight. It's mm -hmm. very specific. Um, or for example, you could do multiple singles. A lot of people will work up to like just their opener or just their second attempt that week. But why not work up to your opener and do three singles? Yeah. Um, or work up to your second attempt and do two singles and right. then just do less back off volume to allow your body to recover. Then you're getting a little bit of a higher intensity, a little bit more practice of your skill, and then doing a little bit less volume so your body can still recover. So there's little ideas where you can put like that where you're not the full extreme. Yeah, and I think there's, like I said, I think there's many different ways you can manipulate this um, if, as long as your your underlying principles are there that you could you could probably test this out as an athlete and there's, you'd probably, you might have... You might have more success with one, but you, you know, I think you could probably get to the same point doing this multiple ways. Yeah. And, um, going back to, uh, how far out should your heaviest, uh, be, um, your heaviest sessions. Another way to look at it is like a more of a linear method or maybe like more of a beginner method that everyone kind of like throws out to everyone is that maybe like three weeks out you're doing triples. So you might work up to a one top set triple and then some back off triples. Then two weeks out, you're doing doubles, working up to a top double and then some back off. And then one week out, you're, you're doing singles. You're working up to a top single and then you're back off. So in those going from threes to twos to one, your volume is dropping and your intensity is increasing. And depending on how close to failure you go, maybe the top triple is like your opener or, or like your last warm up. Your top double is maybe your first or second attempt. And then your top singles, maybe your second or a little bit higher than your second attempt. Then on meet week, you kind of do light stuff, let your body recover, and then you, then you have your whole uh, plan set out for what you're going to do in competition based on that. So that's like more of a, a basic way to kind of peak and to have your heaviest single about one week out. Yeah. So I actually just started doing that for a bunch of my athletes going into the SNS meet, um, whereas traditionally I, would, I was having them do uh, weekly maxing. And I, I think that I, I, for, I think it's not necessary and it, it's super fatiguing um, for some people. So now I, I have a couple people doing that triple double single scheme. And so far they've, they've all hit PRs on all of them going into it. Um, and that's maybe because I just, I, maybe they're at a lower level than I, than I had thought. Not, and I don't mean that to say like in a, in a, uh, a demeaning way. I just mean that you probably don't need that much of an advanced strategy to get them prepared for this meet. Um, but yeah, there's there's always room for reevaluation re with the stuff, and everybody's different too. So, like you said, it depends. 
Yeah, yeah. And if you wanted to go more advanced, then you can combine those two. So I have some lifters that will do multiple protocols. So the first protocol might be a single at let's say RPE nine. The second protocol might be like a a double at RPE nine, and then the third protocol might be be like. Uh, three sets of three at like RP eight or something like that. So they're getting the the benefit of the single and the like the the higher double or triple. So they're getting higher intensity with some more top sets, and then just getting that little bit of extra volume in at the lower RPEs to mm-hmm. get the final work in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way they can still get like the RP the the higher RP singles because a lot of people want to do the heavier single and seeing where they're at, getting comfortable with the openers. Okay, here you go. And then also they're getting that higher intensity. Um, single, I'm um, sorry, double or triple, which might give them like a better gauge of like where their estimated one rep max is or where their opener should be, and then just getting the volume work in. Right. Um, all right. So let's say you got through your peak. <clears throat> I agree with you, by the way, that the taper is included in the peak. I group that all as one thing. So you finish your heaviest week. Now you're at one week out. What do you do that last week? Yeah, I've seen. I've seen a lot of different things. I don't know what you've seen. I've seen people that will like not train at all on meat week. Yeah. I've seen people that will do like no barbell work <laughs> and will just go in and do pump work. Like so they'll mm-hmm. go do bicep curls and tricep push downs and, and lat pull down and stuff like that. Um, but what I like to do is, is try and keep it again, very similar to what you've been doing before and keep, and especially that specificity. So mm-hmm. The specificity can come in the movements. So I do almost all competition lifts on meet week. So it's competition bench, squat, deadlift, maybe some rear delt work just to like make sure the shoulders feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also like to be uh, specificity in your frequency. So if you've been training bench four times a week for four months straight, you wouldn't go down to zero times a week on meet week. Right. Because that change in frequency is really going to mess with your skill. Right. So you want to try and maintain the specificity of, of, of the frequency, either matching the same frequency or maybe one less because technically your competition day would be like your fourth bench day or something like that if you want to look at it that way. Right. Um, as far as um, intensity, the intensity should obviously be down a little bit. It doesn't need to be going down to zero, not doing anything. Some people may still do like their opener or close to an opener um, five days out. And then everything else is lighter after that. Maybe three days out or two days out, they're doing 60%, 70%, just some light work. And, and also, obviously, the volume will be down because, like we said, the volume is what's going to develop the most fatigue. So we want to reduce the volume. Some people do 30%. Some people do 50%. Obviously, I do not recommend 100% drop. Um, <laughs> but even if you drop the volume 50%, you're just getting some work in to kind of maintain that skill, um, have kind of loosening up your body going through the warm-up and everything like that rather than just like laying in bed all day every day mm-hmm. and then uh, you're still gonna recover enough for the competition day yeah i i agree uh almost universally i have everybody train three days meet week monday usually it's monday tuesday thursday uh monday is actually still a heavy day the volume comes down but i have people still around 80 percent or just loosely around 80 85 percent but the volume drops, and then the last two days are taper days where <clears throat> still some volume, a uh, little bit of volume, but the intensity comes way down. And it's exactly what you were saying, whereas I want them, I want specificity to be specificity to be high, I want frequency to be high, and then, and then just preparedness. I think if you take a whole week off, that you leave a lot 
a lot of room to just not be as prepared as you could be if you were still practicing the movements. Um, but that that's my personal philosophy. So you and I are kind of on the same page with that. Yeah, and you and you see this in other sports. So like we kind of just saw it with the NFL playoffs, the teams that get like the first round by, and then maybe even their final week of the regular season, they bench their players. Now their players may have not practiced the actual game in two weeks or maybe more. And then they look rusty in their in round two of the playoffs. Yeah. So you see this in, in other sports that if they rest too long, even if they are going in the gym and maybe just doing some light work and maybe they're doing some drills in, um, in practice, maybe running some routes or something like that, throwing some balls, it's not the same as that competition specific and being in that game, game mode and that speed that is actually in the game. So then they, they're rusty and they might take them a half to kind of get back in the groove or maybe they don't get back in the groove in time and they end up getting upset by the, the wild card who's been playing every single week. Right. Yeah, and there's <clears throat> there's no reason why you can't train meet week as long as you're, as long as you're tracking volume and intensity and accounting for f- fatigue drop. So you want the fatigue to come down. Um, there's no reason why you shouldn't be going into the gym and practicing. Um just like I said, less room, less room for for uh, your preparedness to drop. Yeah, and and I do similar to you, where the last week is usually two or three training sessions, and a lot of it depends on just the, the schedule of the athlete. So if they can do three training sessions, yeah, maybe Monday we do uh, squat and bench, and then Tuesday we do deadlift, and then Thursday we do squat and bench. Uh, and then they get like Friday off and then compete Saturday or maybe they get Friday and Saturday off and they compete Sunday. If yeah. for some reason like they have work, whatever, schedule's hard, I have them move the Tuesday deadlift into Monday. So Monday they're doing squat, bench, and deadlift, and then they just get a bigger rest. And then Thursday they're doing squat and bench, and then they're competing. Yeah, yeah, you and I are pretty much on the same page with that. And those, those beginning days, uh, the Monday and Tuesday – will still be uh, slightly higher volume than the, uh, the Thursday. So, yeah, you might still work up to your opener or maybe like your last warm-up and then do some volume work. It could be like whatever, three sets of three or four sets of four, light stuff, kind of just maintain your skill, uh, maintain your strength, kind of loosening the body up, everything like that. And then that last session is going to be uh, very low volume and then like moderate atten- intensity. So you might still do like, let's say, 80% for a single just so you can warm up all the way up to 80% and kind of, again, practice and kind of go through the motions. And then you might just do some really light doubles or singles, like 60% or something like that. Again, mm-hmm. just to kind of keep the body loose, uh, kind of practice your technique. But you're basically, the volume is so low that you shouldn't be gaining any new fatigue. It should be like you're recovering, again, within those 48 hours or 72 hours, which is why we do that last workout on let's say Wednesday or Thursday for competing on Saturday. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Anything else you want to bring up about peaking or tapering? Um, I mean, that covers, that covers most of it. Um, another question some people might have is like what to do after you compete. Uh, and again, that depends on like how hard you went in the competition and how beat up you feel. But I know a lot of people try and get right back into training and I'm always trying to, at least for most people, try and fight off them going right back into training. Because if you did go to your uh, true maxes, then you maybe dumped a lot of adrenaline. Um, you caused some muscular damage. Um, if you cut weight, you might have, um, depending on how much you ate or drank, you might not be back to your regular body weight or normal hydration levels. So the 
the risk of injuring yourself after a competition might be one of the highest periods in a cycle. Um, mm-hmm. So you want to give your body rest, depending on, again, how, how bad you feel. You might at least take 48 hours or 72 hours rest and then go in and do some really light stuff. But I do have some people that just want to take five, six, seven days off to just let their body completely relax, go do other stuff, um, enjoy time with family or whatever like that, go on a vacation, uh, that stuff, and then kind of get back in. But even if you do take two days off or seven days off, you usually want to come back and do really light stuff. So I might have lifters do sets of five with like 60% or maybe sets of three with 70%, um, stuff that you have a, a lot of reps in the tank. You kind of just build yourself slowly back into it and again avoid that injury yeah yeah i agree 100 percent um i did uh just related to that is i took a week off last week and i did preacher curls yesterday or whenever it was two days ago dude my arms are killing me (laughs) it's crazy i can't even i can't even like extend my elbow without it feeling so sore yeah, and even on the, the regular muscle groups you use for powerlifting, if you've been doing four weeks of like, let's say one to five rep work, and then you compete, and then you maybe take three to five days off, and then you come back and you try and do eight to 12 rep work, man, you're going to be so yeah, you're sore, gonna be you're going to be feeling beat up, and yeah, and, uh, yeah you're not going to be able to extend your arms or, or get out of bed and stuff. So again, even though it's not part of the peaking, uh, it is an important aspect after the peaking to kind of ease back into things to minimize having like so much soreness that you can't like even move or go to work or anything like that and to minimize the injury risk. Um, yeah. But overall, as far as peaking, again, if you're a beginner or even like intermediate, you're still kind of like in your first couple of years of uh, competing is like be more on the conservative side. Maybe just go up to RP9 or maybe just go up to like your first or second attempt. And just kind of put yourself in a good position where you don't overshoot it. Because if you do hit like a easy weight, like we said, two weeks out, you can still hit that same weight or maybe slightly higher one week out. And then you can still kind of uh, taper off meet week and get ready for competition. But if you start maxing out like three weeks out and you start missing reps, then that can uh, compound really quickly and lead to an injury or just bad performance. Yeah. Once you get more to that advanced level, these elite lifters, that's when – Hopefully you as a lifter, you know kind of your own body and what you can hit, or you have a coach that knows your body and what you can hit. Um, And obviously you have a lot more connections where you can talk to other people. You can look at online resources. um, You have a lot of data. If it's velocity-based training, you have a lot of videos of yourself if you competed in previous competitions where you can really hone that in for you and your needs as far as whether you're cutting weight or whether you're going up to a thousand pound squad or uh, whatever. If you're if your deadlift is a, a lot more heavier on your back and you need more time to recover, all those little things you're going to know as an individual. Sure. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. If you guys have any questions about peaking or tapering, you can reach out to us. Um, do we have anything else coming up that we want to talk about? Uh, I mean, as far as uh, peaking, we have uh, obviously a few lifters getting ready for the Arnold uh, yeah. next, next weekend. So I personally have a few lifters competing. I have in the battle of the regions, I have uh, Kate Mendel. And then um, just handling another lifter, uh, AJ Willingham, who's coached by David Wilson. I'm also doing that in the battle regions. Then on the raw challenge, I have uh, Emma Eif and Jonathan Garcia. And then finally in the uh, pro American, I got Sarah Brenner. So I got 
few lifters that are peaking for that one. I've been sending them their their peaking blocks. I've been going over, uh, putting together their temp selections to then go over with them. Uh, also coming up this this week leading into Arnold is uh, Canadian Nationals. I have one lifter there, Frances uh, Manius. So she's going to be competing at Canadian Nationals. And then we have our, our SNS meet in a couple weeks. Yep. Uh, we're closed registration tomorrow and then ordering everything. But well, you obviously have a lot of lifters preparing for that, so they're kind of getting ready for their heavier lifts now, huh? Yeah, I have 16 people competing. <laughs> I'm going to be absolutely fried after that weekend. But yeah, everyone's we're in the final stretch, and everyone's doing a really good job. So I'm, I'm super psyched. A um, couple new lifters that I'm coaching for the first time. Um, and then, you know, some of my old lifters, people qualifying for nationals, uh, Tevin's trying to break a state record. So it's, it's actually going to be, for a local meet, I think it's going to be super exciting. And uh, you guys have the uh, the team training going on now. You started last week. So is this week and next week are pretty much going to be, everyone's going to come in and do their heaviest singles on Saturday. Yep. Yeah, so we get try, I'm trying to get everyone to train together. And so far, we, it's, it's been pretty successful. Uh, this Saturday, almost everybody has a heavy deadlift single. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I, I'm super psyched to see. Uh, but like I said, a lot of my, a lot of my first timers. So this people who are this is their first meet. Um, the past few weeks, I've just been crushing it and hitting rep PRs weekly. Um, so we'll see now that now that we're doing some singles where they're at. And then, uh, you know, well, I had one athlete who said that he was expecting to hit like 200 for his deadlift at the meet, and he's already pulled he pulled 210 for a double. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it, I think they're exceeding, they're exceeding their own expectations, which is really exciting to watch, uh, especially for first time, some first timers. So it, it, they're geared up to have a, a super successful meet and that'll keep them engaged. Yeah. And, and hopefully you're building up your conditioning so you can run up and down the stairs at Williamsburg oh uh, over and over again. No, 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 no. <laughs> first it's like uh how much equipment are we going to bring from bushwick over because we have to go down all those stairs plus the tables and chairs and everything so then on competition day just like running up and down the stairs for all your lifters <laughs> yeah it's brutal i think last year i i averaged like uh i don't know it was like sixteen thousand steps just in the gym and then <laughs> i also lost like five pounds that weekend as i was just annihilated yeah it's it's exhausting <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. We'll get you up here, and uh, Chris. Yeah, and... fortunately, fortunately for me, I only have uh, one lifter competing there, so yeah, it'll luck. be pretty. It'll be pretty easy, and uh, I can have someone help him with the warmups downstairs, and I'll just be upstairs watching his uh, attempts. Lucky you. <laughs> sixteen. So last year I had ten. I think I had ten, and that was a lot. And now I'm at sixteen. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Cool. Uh, so I guess I'll talk to you soon. And if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out. Find us on Instagram. And uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you. Peace.